Hello, this is a Jay the Shark and Friends and Russell mm, and Russell podcast. And in today's show, we are talking to the very handsome French bulldog owner, amazing photographer and very handsome Liam Collard from Liam Collard Photography. The very handsome Liam's journey to Phuket started with coming out to shoot some pictures at a friend's wedding and a chance meeting with one of Phuket's best wedding planners changed his still handsome life forever. From battling demons to meeting his fiance and setting up a creative agency, the very handsome Liam's journey to Phuket has been one of the most interesting yet. Oh, and he's quite handsome too. Enjoy the show. Liam, don't say anything naughty because he's recording. You can get it now. Trouble. Says recording, so I guess we're. Recording. Oh yes, I've got, I've got the little icon up now. There we go. Cool. Yeah. Best Take behavior, it away, Jay. Welcome to the podcast, Liam. Woo! How, how are you, Liam? We've been waiting for you to be on our podcast for approximately six months. <laughs> waiting, as in I've been on. Un- I've been unreliable, or you just were too worried. To, oh, really? <laughs> well, no. The, 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 the way it works on the podcast is, is basically I'm generally the booker of the rubbish guests. And then we give Russell the opportunity to book the really, really good quality guests. And um, he's Which failed at that. It <laughs> doesn't go to plan very often. But now we have you. Thank you for being here. We, we love you. On a scale of one to ten, how nervous are you? I'm not nervous. I'm just intrigued. <laughs> Sorry, can you can you hear the dog barking? I just <clears throat> just need to. Um, oh yeah, no, you can't just walk off midway through the pot. We haven't even no, started. He's off. No, I'm still here. I'm still here. Just I'm just I'm, I'm on a mobile device. No. See now, I should explain what's going on. So, so Liam is a is a friend of Russell and I's, <laughs> Russell and I's, and has been a friend for a, a god blimey long time. Um, he also yeah. is a dog owner and has employed Russell's services of Canine Point Academy to train his vicious um, French bulldog um, to be a very good bulldog, and it is a good bulldog. However, I've just seen now that Liam. <laughs> Because Russell's, oh, Liam put Bob up on the screen. That's beautiful. It's great for the audio podcast to see that. Um, so <laughs> Russell has been training Liam's dogs, but I will know. I think throughout this podcast, Liam will be very much making sure he is a very good dog owner. Because every time I see yeah. Liam when Russell's around, Liam becomes Barbara Woodhouse rather than the normal <laughs> dog owner like the rest of us that don't give a shit. Oh, shit. <clears throat> Yeah, no, that's how I, I feel like I've got an audience, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you have to show off good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Liam, um, so basically our little podcast, we would like, because I'm trying to work out when we first met through, it was obviously through weddings. <laughs> got to be a wedding. I think, uh, yeah, I think it must have been one of Jeanette's weddings, but it was right at the beginning. Uh, maybe even the first one I did. Uh, it was at um, Barn Santisuk. And um, ah, I, I think you might, 
I think you might have even been at that first one, um, but which was way back in like 2012 or something like that. Is that when you first came to Phuket, 2012? I came to a friend's wedding in May of 2012 as a guest, and Jeanette was organising that wedding. And I wasn't actually doing the photography, but I said to him, I'll, I'll do some photography of our, like, of the wider circle of friends because, you're, you know, your photographer will be busy with other stuff. Um, and uh, Jeanette just saw those photos and then, yeah, started, asked me if I w wanted to do some work in Thailand. So that's how, that's how the journey began. Okay, so let's take that part and then let's go back. <laughs> time machine, all kind of fairy moments, all that kind of stuff. So what were you doing? But Have you always done photography or was that your background or what were you doing before that? No, so um, I, so how far back shall we go with this? I'll try and condense it. Where were you born? Where were you born? <laughs> <laughs> I, was actually, I was actually born in Nottingham. So let's not talk about that. Though. No, never lived there. I'm from, from the south of the UK. Um, yeah, so I was always into photography, um, and I think partly to do with, uh, you know, my, my parents both had, like, corporate careers, and I was lucky to go to a really good school in, in Berkshire, and I, there was just an expectation that, I mean, it wasn't particularly academic, the school, but there was still an expectation that you kind of did school and university and then got some kind of corporate job. That's just, you know, most people's parents were, like, doing stuff like that accounting lawyers that that kind of job so just that was just kind of what we were told the path was i think everyone so was I, I, really yeah possibly and i so i just had no idea no one told me that it was possible to do something creative no one no one explained to me that there were other options and uh yeah with the lack i suppose not having so much um access to information like we do with the internet now um i just kind of followed that Path, not really knowing there was any other choice. So <clears throat> the school bit um, up to 18, I, 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 I did okay because it's quite a protected environment, the boarding school in Berkshire. There was, you know, school class sizes were fairly small and stuff. So I got, got, the, yeah, got the attention that I, I need. Posh boy. Probably... Russell, we've yeah. got Posh Boy on the podcast. <laughs> Balding um, Get him. Was that, sorry... <laughs> Liam, was it boarding yeah. or board stall? <laughs> yeah, boarding stall. Yeah, boarding stall. <laughs> okay, just just clarifying. Just that. To clarify. Um. So yeah, where was I? Um. Yeah. So I, that went fairly well, but then, uh, to be honest, I, I think without that, I would I wouldn't have even got any A levels because I just I wasn't well suited to an academic environment at all. I didn't want to. I didn't have the focus or ability to sit down and take responsibility for the stuff outside the classroom particularly well. So as soon as I left, uh, I'd already discovered drinking by this point and I did get into university, but the two I attempted to go to, I went to, I went to uh, Bristol University, West of England um, for one year and went to like one lecture and the rest of the time spent in the pub. And then I thought, oh, it's, it must be Bristol that's the problem. So I'll go yeah. to not. I'll go to Nottingham and try oh, and do it there. Right <laughs> and then exactly the same thing happened there. So I, I actually ended up a friend of mine who had uh, a friend of mine that had kind of he was very 
clever boy, bright boy. He was a sixth form scholar at school, so he's he was there based on his academic ability. But he didn't do very well in his A levels, so his parents said, "Oh, you, we're not going to pay for you to go to a crap university. So go, go and get a job." And he ended up working on the in the oil markets in the city. Got a job as a junior there. But by the time I had done these two years of messing up at um, university, he was doing really well as an oil broker and you know making great money seemed really attractive to work in that kind of environment uh and so i started looking at that path and i did end up getting a job working on the london metal exchange which is that it's still an open outcry floor so where they don't trade electronically they're doing all their hand signals and stuff like that so it's quite it's cool it's a cool environment but i did the pressure of it and your you don't have to be great at maths complicated maths but you're mental arithmetic and ability to hear numbers when lots of people are shouting and be able to pick out the right numbers that your traders shouting and buying and selling is like a key It's the main bit of the job if you're going to make it all the way up to a trader and i just i, I wasn't able to do that with enough accuracy it has to be a hundred percent accurate every every single day and for me the way my ears and my ability to concentrate worked, i just could not yeah I just could not. Uh, yeah, I would always make one or two mistakes, like put a, a trade down as a buying order and when it was a selling order and stuff like that. So it was never going to last that long. It was <laughs> a very intense. We, is your other name Nick Leeson by any chance? Or is this <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't get Leeson. I played pool with him in Singapore back in the day. Did you? I really did, yeah. <laughs> Next page pub. I mean, I didn't know him as in like, hey, mates to hang out for a beer. And of course, I was at that time, I was still quite young, going out with some friends, <laughs> saw the expat bars. Um, and he was just one of the guys that was there. Obviously, this is pre-crashing the bank. So, but he was just one of the guys in, in the pub. Down Liam, in Singapore. You, yeah, Singapore, yeah. Liam, when you said you were uh, you, born in Nottingham, but you, you grew up down south, whereabouts down south? Yeah, it was just west of London, around, it kind of in the countryside, but near Reading. Okay. So, um, but I sort of, I don't specify Reading, just simply because I went to, from the age of 11, I went to... Because it's a shithole. <laughs> There's that as well. That as well, yeah. It's interesting because so, I think I, I grew up in, in Essex, South End way, and all my mates were very similar. We're, we're, we're close to our age. I mean, you just turned um, 40. Happy birthday to Liam, everybody. Happy birthday, Liam. Woo! Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit older than that. Russell's obviously only in his early 30s, so he's Mars ones. But in, in, in my age group as well, I very similar to you, there wasn't any creative jobs. You kind of, you, you, you did, you went to school, you went to A-levels, you went to university, or you went to work in the city. That was the options. There was nothing else outside of that. So I totally get your story where you're coming from, because it was like, I didn't know about radio and audio and what I could do creatively. It was just like you had to go and get a job or you went to university and that was it. And it was very specific, it was very structured. And like even at school, I remember like the careers advisors, it was all going down a path to be a, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant or whatever. It was never more about trying to tap into your, your creative feel as to what you might want to do, what sort of things excite you and what sort of path can we put you on. And I wonder if, I mean, Jay, you're probably, out of the three of us, you're the one that's going to come across this because you're the only one that's got kids at the moment. So at some point, they're going to be in that position of wanting to go down a particular path. And as to whether the system now is a bit more awake and alive to what people might want to do and be better at. 
Now the system's fucked, Russell, because of coronavirus. I'm, I'm the teacher at the moment, and that's a scary prospect <laughs> that I'm teaching two kids. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> um, Liam, can you check them into uh, check, check them into K9 Point Academy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Russell, no limitations. <laughs> Russell will not take them. I've offered him money. I've offered him lots of stuff. He won't take them. No, no all right. not at all. Um, Liam, um, yeah. two years at uni, so was that one year at Bristol and one year at Nottingham? Yeah, yeah, and then exactly. Did you then jack it um, in to go to London? Yeah, I mean, also, I was, I was needing to... I was having to be helped to be able to afford university. So I did have a job, like working in a restaurant and a bar and yeah. stuff when I was there, but I still needed a bit of help to, to help pay my rent and stuff, which was coming from my parents. So they were just like... We're not going to pay for a third year of you going to no lectures and, yeah. you know, just drinking because that's and, just, what, you know, it's wasting, wasting money. What course were you doing? I did sociology. Sorry. What um, course were you signed up for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to think about it for a second there because, <laughs> you know, that's how, <laughs> that, that's how detached from it was. Um, so I signed up to sociology at Bristol and then criminology at, um, at um, Nottingham. Yeah. Right. Which I, I did like the idea of, but like I said, I, I think partly, yeah, I was, I, I'd fallen into and was really enjoying feeling comfortable in my own skin in that drinking environment. I just really, I, I just really went at that. So that was partly the reason, but it also just looking back on it, I do have the ability to learn very well, but it, not in that traditional academic way. Because the, the way my, my career's progressed. I've, I've been fairly successful in what I've been doing, but not within those rigid confines of what we're told is the way to learn and the types of ways you do exams and stuff. That just never, it never suited me. And partly it's to do with some of my friends are good at, were good at doing those types of exams, even though they didn't like it, they could just get on with it. Whereas I'm not good at learning stuff that I don't like. And I never liked any of this academic stuff. So there was just a, a disconnect there there's got to be a real focus from me like an internal passion that yes i want to get to this place with this learning then i can do it but not just for the sake of doing it i could i could never seem to engage with that very well yeah i think that's really interesting because i'm yeah i mean i'm with the homeschooling at the moment and i was similar to you i I did rubbish at school and a levels i i got kicked out my first year i got terrible marks and the stuff and it wasn't until my second year when I begged to go back to do A levels that the teacher came up and said look maybe this isn't the right path for you there are other options I found that there was other options to go and do a course where you're actually it's more of what I wanted to do and it was a leisure course where I was teaching water sports and that's what kind of pushed me in that direction where it was then right you actually just that's what I had a passion for was to go and do that rather than sitting there doing economics A levels where you have to write three essays in three hours I mean it was just bonkers who wants to do so what what so just moving, um, not moving too far ahead. So you, 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 were you doing photography at all at this point or nothing at all? You were just having fun, trading, doing the London scene, doing whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I basically I was into it and I was into it from like, I used to go on uh, summer because my grandmother is Greek. She had a house in, the, in one of the Greek islands. So when I was from the age of like 14, I used to go and my parents would let me bring a few school friends every summer to go out there. So from that point, I was, I was always the one that had the camera. I was into it and we were still in those kind of disposable film camera days or proper film camera days. 
um, <clears throat> at that early point. But once I kind of was at university and stuff, yeah, I just got so into the party stuff that I was the kind of person that I would sit at the bar telling people, yeah, I just want to do something creative with my life and bullshit, 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 and just talk about all this stuff, but never actually take it. I would basically sit there and go, oh, yeah, I would like to be a photographer, but it's just too competitive. It's impossible to do it. I'd never actually investigated it or bothered to do any learning or tried to work out how people did get into it. I just dismissed it and would sit there talking about all of these grand ideas without actually doing anything about them. So, so yes, I definitely was, but there was, um, the only thing I was really interested in was drinking and, <laughs> and partying. So the, the, the discipline and focus needed to learn something like photography from scratch professionally and build a successful business. I just wasn't, my emotional maturity wasn't there at that early stage of my life to be able to take that step. So I had to be working for somebody that paid me a salary. That was the only way I was going to turn up regularly. <laughs> when, did the, um, so. when did the light bulb switch? Now, I know I'm probably jumping years and years ahead, but when did the light bulb switch to say, right, I'm going to do photography. That's the path I want to take. I think like uh, leading up to 2011, I'd done, after I had that job in the city, I then ended up doing a lot of recruitment jobs or headhunting jobs for those type of traders. So I kind of had a bit of um, connection with the city. So that was the type of recruitment I did. But I was literally going every Monday morning, normally quite hungover, <laughs> feeling so depressed. I remember getting the tube from Fulham Broadway up to the city, just thinking, I don't, like, so desperate, going, I don't know how I'm going to get through five more days of doing this. And I, I basically did that for seven years of that and then by the time I got to Friday it was like there was no option but to go and party because it was just such relief I'd managed to get through another week of like corporate life or doing that, that kind of and especially that kind of job is quite sales sales target driven and stuff like that so just I, I just just never liked it so I was always saying I want to do something creative without really specifying or having the light bulb moment in my head I would just talk bullshit about how I'm a creative person <laughs> and I want to do something creative. Let me another drink, like <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, what, was your, um, yes. what, what was your tip of choice? What, what, what was your drink of choice? Uh, yeah, I like, I like beer, like, like Jack Daniels, Jack Daniels and Pope. He used to do the job, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, 2011, um, I had got to the point with the partying where I didn't really have the ability to stop that cycle of, uh, you know, go to work in the week, binge at the weekend, feel even worse on a Monday. Go back. So I was in this, that, this kind of cycle. But the beginning years, it was fun, right? And it, the, the consequences of feeling pretty tired and whatever on a Monday seemed worth it for all the fun you're having at the weekend. By the time I got to 15 years into that or 12 years into that, <coughs> The novelty Those advantages had disappeared and it was simply a case of, you know, I'm completely wasting my, my life here. I'm doing a job I hate. I'm basically repeating the same behaviours every week, not really out of choice, just they're just so ingrained that I just keep doing them. <clears throat> so the decision came, I think, and the decision came basically because it wasn't working for me anymore. That lifestyle just wasn't, I wasn't getting that enjoyment that I got at the beginning. So... A couple of friends I knew had already 
uh, stop drinking. So I, I chatted to them about that journey and stuff like that. Um, and made a decision in uh, November 2011 that, right, I'm going to, I am going to make this decision to stop drinking because I tried drinking moderately. I tried, you know, mixing with different people whenever and just kept going back to the same problems. So I kind of had experimented enough to know that the thing holding me back was probably something to do with the partying. So that, that kind that, of penny sort of drops. Do you also think at that stage that you were, I mean, obviously the cycle was suck it up during the week because it sucks being at work, mm. get to the weekend and go completely smash it. But were you also at that point realizing that during the week you were also drinking a fair amount? Or was it just to... Yeah, no, I could. And the, the, the problem was that I was uh, what I would describe as a binge drinker. So I didn't drink uh, daily, yeah. but there it's was very little uh, control Monday. or moderations when I did decide to go for a drink. So I could get away sometimes having a few, but invariably when there was something important going on at work or something, I might go out on a Wednesday and then it would just go until four in the morning. And then I was either not able to turn up to work or I'd come in like so hungover, I couldn't do anything or whatever. So, and it just started to affect me like the, the actual drinking. Yeah. Not, I mean, I don't even think I particularly acted that bad when I was actually drinking, but the psychological effects afterwards, the hangovers and the anxiety and the, like they started to get a lot worse as I got older. So that, like I said, the fun and the trade-off just got to a point where I realized oh, I'm not even getting 1% of enjoyment out of this. It's just a habit. And all of that stuff I used to do it for is just, just gone and it's holding me back. So, so yeah, when I, when I made that decision in 2011, I'd said so, I'd, I'd said so many times oh, I'm going to stop doing this, but there, there seemed to be a moment of clarity that it was the thing holding me back. Whereas before, I was just like, oh, I don't want to feel rubbish on Monday, so I'm going to stop. And that wasn't, the mindset was completely wrong. It was, so as soon as I felt better, I just wanted to go and party again. Yeah. Whereas on this occasion, there was a moment, some kind of clarity that this lifestyle is stopping you doing what you want to do with your life. And, it, and that is the common denominator, is me and my partying. Because I tried living in Hong Kong, Singapore, London, during the years that I was doing that, and the same problems. Uh, the same difficulties, managing money, keeping jobs, keeping relationships, all followed me everywhere I went. So that I, I needed to build up that evidence to realize that. But then when I got, yeah, once I made that decision and spoken to a couple of friends and knew that it wasn't working for me, then that was the point I knew that uh, I, wanted, I definitely wanted to pursue uh, photography specifically. Um, as a as a way to try and build a career and i really i stopped caring about this superficial stuff about oh yeah i do want to earn loads of money because i still had this little part of me when i was a bit younger going yeah but i still want to earn loads of money so maybe it's worth sticking with some kind of corporate job so i can try and do that but as soon as i stopped drinking i was like actually this is not important at all and if i'm going to spend most of the next 40 years working i've got to do something that i like otherwise i'm, I'm going to be terrible at it so, um, so yeah, so once I'd done that, I actually found a course for run by one of the top wedding photographers in the UK, a guy called Mike Garrard, um, who's oh, become a great... No, 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 no. You mean Peter V. James from Peter V. James Motion and Steel. He's one of the top photographers, in, is he or not? No, he's a pirate. No, he's a, oh, okay. he's a pirate. He's a, he's a, he's a videographer. 
Yeah. Okay, yeah, they're rubbish. Cinematograph. Don't like photographers. <laughs> Very talented man, though. Yeah. He was an au pair. Um, yeah, he's been helping us a lot, actually, with uh, doing some of our own commercial video stuff. So, um, so yeah, no, he's, he's a great teacher. Um, great teacher, great guy. Um, so when I got, I basically, I didn't want to do wedding photography because again, I had all of this like, oh, wedding photography is just like crap photography. And then I got this, I found this course, like a year long academy with this wedding photographer and the one place left on it. And the, the, the friend of mine that was living with me at the time, she'd already quit her job in uh, like creative advertising to become an artist. And she was on that early bit of that journey. And she said, I think there's one space left for a reason. And if you listen to everyone that's got a salary job, you'll never do it anyway, because they're, they're all just into their security of paying their mortgages and stuff. You'll get all the practical advice and you just never will make, you'll never be able to do it. So I suggest you just quit your job and take that place and just, you can work it out as you go along. You know, there's other way you can always go back to these jobs. So that was the nudge I needed. And I took, took the opportunity to, to get on this course and the first day I was there, I still had a little bit of attitude about our wedding photography is rubbish photography. I'd never, again, it was like I hadn't investigated properly what it really was or what it could be. And this guy, uh, Mike, he said, right, different types of wedding photography that he thought were some of the best in the world. And he put it up on the screen. Some of these uh, photographers, I remember Ben Chrisman, who runs a studio out of California, was one of the photographers up there who we've also done some work with in our, you know, our journey. And I was really blown away by how creative, how colorful and vibrant, uh, how interesting and artistic these images were. I, I thought it was some of the best photography I'd ever seen. It just happened to be being done at a wedding. Whereas I just had this impression of these lineup photos of family or like some kind of really cheesy bride and groom shot. I just had no idea there was this sort of creative documentary style going on. Um, and Ben Christen's one of the pioneers of that style, right? So, um, so that got me like hooked on it. And I just immediately thought, I want to be able to create photos like that. So I knew exactly what kind of style I wanted to do from that very first day on the academy. Um, Mike, um, I got on really well with him. And part of the academy is you could do with some of the tutors, other photographers there, you would go and do some live wedding shoots with them as a second photographer. So you could build portfolio, learn how they did stuff. Um, but Mike is Mike had a style and an approach that I really liked. So I just asked him privately if I could do with him rather than any of the other people there, which you he agreed do, to. Hold on. You mean do yeah. his photography, not do him as in do him? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, exactly. Right. <laughs> to, to join him on, these, uh, on his uh, photography uh, bookings and... I was also really clear in my head that I didn't really want to do 20 weddings down the local golf club in, in Southwest London. So having been exposed to this destination wedding market uh, at this, this course, and I knew I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do that kind of wedding. That, that, that looks amazing and creative and really exciting gets travel. And luckily for me, um, Mike was already doing that, doing a lot of weddings in Italy and around Europe. So he took, he took me and said, you know, you have to pay for your flights and stuff uh, if you want to do the destination ones, but I can bring you as you're part of the, to do two or three of these, as you're part of the, the, the academy. 
So I went and did that with him and built up portfolio and stuff like that. And yeah, learned really fast from him. I was, I was so passionate about it. I was literally listening to every single word he said. And um, yeah, I just got to the point of launching my own business when I came to Thailand and did um, as a guest, came to my friend's wedding. It's actually the guy that owns uh, U-Time now because he lives in Phuket now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Carl. Oh. Yeah, so... So it's his wedding. He was a mate of mine from when I lived in Hong Kong. Nice. It's about the only good thing that came out of my time in Hong Kong was that friendship. And <laughs> weirdly, it came back. Weirdly, it came back to give me the whole opportunity I've got now was, is because of that. So he invited me to the wedding. Um, I stopped drinking like a year before that wedding and I built up the photography portfolio and was starting to get really into it. And then I came there and, and Jeanette met me and saw my work. And then that's how I ended up moving to... Okay, so. so just you were so at Carl's wedding where were mm. you living you were in the UK at that point yeah yeah okay yeah, just flew just flew out from the wedding so um and, and been Jeanette, to Phuket for a long time we should just mention for those who don't know we, we keep mentioning Jeanette's name uh, Russell myself and Liam all worked um, in various different parts for uh, luxury events which was at that time probably the best wedding um, company in Phuket, based in Phuket, um, and we all did different things. So I was DJing, Russell was saying words, and then obviously Liam then came on board to take the pictures. I just want to go back. Who was where? Where did Carl get married? Because did Jeanette do that wedding? Yeah, yeah, she did do it. It was up in um, it was up in Natai, but it was at a villa that um, was never it was never used once I moved here. It was like owned right. by some jockey in Hong Kong and it was available for, for his wedding. But by the time right. I actually moved out here, they'd stopped doing weddings there. So right. somewhere, it's near, near Sava though. Okay. Along One that of stretch. the private villas along from Sava. Yeah, along that stretch. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So did you, did you, so when you, you came out for the wedding and then you just went, you know what, I'm just going to... So who, what was the point where you said, was it oh, Jeanette saying, oh, your pictures are great, you, I'll give you some work? Did you approach yeah. her? How did it, so that was, what, how did it all, uh, ugh, I can't talk. How did it all happen? Thank you. Yeah, so, so I think she didn't particularly like the official photographer's photos and on Facebook had seen photos I tagged from the wedding of my work. So she contacted me. And said, I really like the style. I had a lot of Western clients that would probably be quite interested. If you would be interested in doing your weddings in Thailand, I can maybe start to refer you. And we'll just see if you get any bookings. Um, and she, yeah, I think she got me two for that December. So I came back out and um, stayed for two weeks and did these two weddings. And then after that, it was quite a, it was quite a good timing. Because at that point, there wasn't really that many photographers on the island and uh, the opportunity was there where there was a lot of destination weddings happening. So yeah, there was an opportunity to bed in and actually build a portfolio and reputation out here. So I just thought, well, yeah, why not? I could, could do it from England. But, um, I just, having lived in Asia before, um, you know, in a different part of my life, I always was quite keen to come back, but I just wasn't quite sure how that opportunity might come about. So as soon as Jeanette said that, I was like, yeah, if I can make it work and there's enough weddings, then I'll do it. So I think the first year I did six months here and six months in the UK because I still had work in the UK. And then gradually that's become shorter and shorter. 
Um, so last year, uh, we went back regularly and then we did do some work there, but there was a much smaller, much smaller amounts of time. So when did you move from the UK to, to here? Say again, mate. Well, when did you move full time from the UK to here? Um, I think it was the beginning of uh, 2013. Right, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Beginning of two, I think the, um, Kahal's wedding was in May of 2012. And I think the first weddings I did for Jeanette were like November, December of that year. And then having done them, she started to get me quite a bit of work. So I just took the, took the risk of uh, just coming out here and setting a business up and seeing if I could make it work. And it, um, yeah, just, just went from there. And certainly from the get-go, it was 100% just doing weddings. Is that correct? Yeah, beginning just doing weddings, yeah. So that was the, and also it was, it was really busy at the beginning. And plus I was still building skill set, um, trying to build a reputation for myself. And I, I mean, we were lucky because we got, um, we didn't just get weddings in Thailand. We did get quite a few in Greece and continue to do so in the UK, Hong Kong, Singapore, Bali. So we started to get all this international exposure and that helped us to like build um, a port, like, quite an interesting portfolio. Um, from being based here. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's two things in that. One is, I mean, obviously, for, for those on the podcast, we'll, we'll get into how your business has perhaps morphed and, and, and changed a wee bit, particularly in the recent times. We'll get to that. But you're, you're referencing a lot about we have work here and we have work there, which obviously yeah. then into your other half. Um, yeah. So at what point... What? Is, yeah, what? <laughs> Uh, You're what? not a single hunky man that we can all go and grab hold of. So thanks for no, joining not like podcast. You. Tune in next week. <laughs> so at Shocking. what point did um, the, the most important part of your life, um, Bob, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those on the podcast. Yeah, so so what, at, at what point uh, did Sam come along? Uh, uh, so quite funny, actually. So I, I, I'd only been here a few I'd come out here and done a few weddings, right? And a friend of mine who's a, a yoga instructor um, and was, yeah, kind of living in London, but he had, you know, having quite a relaxed life, so just doing private tuition and stuff like that. So I said to him, oh, why don't you come out and stay in um, Phuket because I'm going to be living out there and just come out for a few months because I've got a two-bedroom apartment. And so this guy came out, spent a few months out here, and we went to this, uh, we went to this party um, in Central Festival, some like opening, grand opening, one of these awful grand opening things. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was and, it? Um, for what though? I think that table check or something. There's something that outdoor thing. Tablespoon. Table, no, was it tablespoon? tablespoon. Was tablespoon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the so circle that, and then, where McDonald's and stuff is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So we were standing there and Pete Atkinson, who I, I think you both know, it's yeah. Darren's husband, do you know? Yeah. Um, Pete Atkinson came up to us and said, uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, excuse me, my friend's over there. I looked around, there's all these Thai girls. <laughs> uh, want to know if you two are gay or single. <laughs> and you said, yes, we're gay. <laughs> yeah, I said, sorry, yeah, we're gay. No. So I said, uh, no, <laughs> um, 
And I said, no, we're not, actually. And so anyway, I got chatting to him after he'd come up with this bizarre introduction. <laughs> and um, he then invited me. He said, oh, do you want to come out for lunch with me and a friend of mine who's Sam, who is my current, my fiancé at the moment? Hopefully still will be after we've been locked in for a couple of months. Massive <laughs> 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 test. Um, yeah, yeah, huge test. Um, he, he took us out and said, oh, look, she's quite into photography. I think you guys will get on really well. She's friends with Darren. And so he kind of was setting us up on a date, but he, it was done in a nice, relaxed way where he came as well. He said, let's just the three of us go out for lunch. And I had some kind of thing in my head that, um, oh, there's too much cultural difference between Thai and... And because I was new here, right? There was too much cultural difference between Thai and uh, Western. So I think I probably, I'm probably not really looking for a Thai girlfriend or whatever. And this, this was my attitude before this lunch. Um, and I think that Stam's always said to me, the only reason she was even a little bit interested in me is because I seemed so disinterested in her at this original, <laughs> <laughs> at this original lunch. Because I still had this internal resistance. Like, no, I don't want to have a Thai girlfriend. I think it's too different all of this crazy stuff in my head. And so that kind of paved the way for um, me to, I contacted her about a week later and said, basically, the, not because she thought I was good looking, but just the fact that I seemed disinterested made her a little bit more intrigued. It wasn't any kind of clever strategy. It was just lucky. <laughs> Treat them mean, mate. Treat them mean, keep them keen. But you are a good looking, you're a good looking lad though as well, to be fair. I mean, out of the three of us, Thanks, you're man. probably up there, I think. I mean, yeah. slight, um, you're two of us will be all right. in the top three, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I still, which probably you guys do, still feel quite young in Phuket. It's a bit of a retirement stronghold. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Still feel I can get away with wearing t-shirts like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so obviously that was love blossoming from the get-go, but I'm assuming yeah. that Stan wasn't, because YouTube work obviously uh, hand in glove, as it were. So, but yeah. was Stan that interested in photography? How did all that come about? I think the opportunity, I think she was interested in it, but she could probably answer better herself, but Hopefully this is right, but I, <laughs> so I think from what she's told me and what I understand, yes, she was interested in it. It was quite difficult for us as a couple for her to come in essentially with no experience because there, there was a, a period of time where I had to be kind of running the business while she learned from me. And that's the dynamics of that for a couple are not very nice and they're not very equal, right? Because essentially you end up telling your other half what to do when you're at work, which is horrible. But she was A, very patient with that, and B, very talented with the photography. So, you know, is once she, she built up... Nah? Is she listening? I don't know if she's listening. No, she's in the other room, so she's not you're normally interested very, in what... You're being very, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I was actually pretty impressed as well that she wanted that um she wanted the opportunity um to be her own woman right earn her earn her own money and be successful in her own right so that was part of that's part of her drive to get good was that she didn't just want to be the assistant of some farang photographer she was like if she wanted she was going to do it she wanted to get to the same level as me and run the business with me which i 
I personally find that really attractive yeah. that she wanted to do that and she's she's done that like you know she's we never changed the name of the business because it just already had my name on it which is again like to her credit she doesn't have any ego about that so she just happily got on with it but in terms of our exposure, the amount, the kind of awards we won, the photos that appear in print and on blogs, you know, fifty percent of that work has been has been hers. Um, so there's still an assumption, I think, a because of because she's a, a woman, and b because she's Thai, that she must be in some way my assistant, and it still does happen when we're kind of working. But our clients always know that's not the case because they've, in, you know, they've researched our work. They always meet us before we do any of these weddings with them. <clears throat> and so they do understand that. But um, yeah, something I've learned that there is that kind of, there is a kind of attitude that the man in these kind of businesses, and it's not just with having a, a Thai partner. I know people in Canada, Canadian couples that do it, they're very successful. It's the same thing where there's some kind of attitude that it must be the guy that's the main photographer. And the, and the girl is just there to make up the numbers. I don't know why it's like that, but there's, there's some kind of inbuilt, with a lot of people, some kind of inbuilt presumption that that's how it must be. So I've just always had to battle that. Surely. Say again? You could probably apply that across any industry, to be fair. There yeah, a, so I... I assumption that, oh, well, the man must be the doctor, so she must be the nurse, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so those gender Probably stereotypes too, are quite really. strong. Sorry? Say again? Prostitution. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying yes. you can't put that in every industry because in prostitution, you'd probably say that the woman's a boss. But then again, I guess they've got a pimp, haven't they? And then that's Snoop Dogg. So I've, I've, I've argued my own oh, rubbish. Carry on. But anyway, I, I would say you took a bit of a gamble because from, I'm guessing from pretty early doors when you've got to know each other and obviously you asked, you know, I'm Liam, I'm a photographer. And she's obviously yeah. shown some interest in wanting to follow that particular path. So from early on, you've jumped on that road together. And that's a gamble in two ways. One, you've already mentioned because you're putting your, your, your young relationship really to the test from the get-go in that dynamic of you're now yes. working for me. And secondly, what if her work is shit? What if she's not a very good photographer? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So now as it happens, yeah, obviously I think you know that she's fucking brilliant. But um, yeah, but it's, uh, that's at that early stage. It's a bit of a gamble. Yeah, I think I was willing to take that uh, gamble because I I was already getting work in multiple countries, <clears throat> and for us to for us to be able to really be together, especially in those first few years, because I was I was only in Thailand half the time in the first few years. Uh, then she really needed to be on board with being involved in the business, um, and so that she could then travel with me and do, do, this, do this and build this business and work in this business with me. So in hindsight as well, I think it was something I hadn't thought about, but it sounds glamorous going, oh, we've got two months in Greece now, then we're in Italy for a month, then we're doing a wedding in Miami. And like, it's amazing stuff. But if you were doing that completely alone, looking back on it, it would have been quite, it would have been quite lonely, actually, mm. the, the experience of it. Because we're literally living out of a suitcase for the whole summer. For the first four years we were together, two months in the Greek islands and a month in London and then a month in Italy working. Um, so I'm really happy it worked out because I just think the motivation to do it, even though from the outside it looks really glamorous, 
would have started to be quite challenging uh, not having any anyone to, to kind of do it with to share the experience with oh yeah yeah what do you um I'm just looking at the time, and I'm, I'm guessing I've, I haven't got my clock up, me, but I'm sure Russell has. Um, what are you doing now? Because obviously, your business, I know that your business has evolved into different things, and you've had to evolve as we all have with various different things. So, so what has been your evolution for the last couple of years into your business? Because obviously, wedding photography has changed. There's more wedding photographers, yeah. so there's DJs, there was a load of DJs came, I changed what I do. Um, so, yeah. how did yours evolve? Yes, yeah, so I think there was the the skill set. It's good. It's a good skill set being a wedding photographer because it does you, to do it well. You do need to be good at quite a lot of different types of photography in in one day, and so that did open up. Especially living in Phuket, with um, you know a lot of luxury hotels and brands that need good visuals, it did open up some possibilities. Um, obvious opportunities to speak to people that may need good photography. That's how it started anyway <laughs> on the island. So uh, originally started doing some work for Catch Beach Club, Author Twin Palms and Catch Beach Club um, on the photography side where we did all of their visual branding for their new website, um, built all of their social media content for them that they've been using for the last 18 months or so. Um, and whilst I was doing that, I was looking into uh, ways to market our photography business, apart from just through Google search and blogging. And I realized um, that there was a very big opportunity to use strategic advertising on Facebook. So the, not social media management, but paid advertising through Facebook and Instagram. And um, building sales funnels that could actually capture business for our photography. Um, so I spent pretty much two years taking a step back or a year and a half taking stepping back from the photography. I let Stan pretty much run the whole wedding business. I just did the, the only thing I did for a year and a half was go to the wedding and take photos and Stan did everything else. All of the editing, backing up, speaking to the clients. She just managed that. And I totally immersed myself in learning how to build profitable sales funnels, like digital marketing sales funnels uh, for our business and it tied in with um, doing this photography work with the Twin Palms which started off at Catch Beach Club um, and they weren't really doing any digital marketing or paid advertising through those channels um, so we've, we've completely uh, changed the focus of our business really so we do still do destination weddings but we have a creative agency um, that we've set up. We're currently in the process of launching the website. Um, too much rush at the moment because of the coronavirus, but we're working on it as we're all indoors for a couple Fun of months. Um, yeah, and what we realised is there's we'd started speaking to hotels. One hotel being the Four Seasons in Bora Bora. We did a, a corporate job there for BMW uh, a few years ago. We did some lifestyle content when we were there, and then I tried to sell it to the sales director at Four Seasons after we'd left. Um, and he bought it from us, but it was, I, the conversation was such that I realized that whilst he was willing to buy it, to get some kind of repeat business or retainer from him, it was seen as too much of a luxury cost to buy this nice photography with not really any understanding of how to use it. In a, in a way that was going to help the business drive 
sales. So as the business evolved and I'd been doing this work for Twin Palms, I'd also been running strategies for our photography business that were generating really good return on investment through Facebook and Instagram. I asked Twin Palms, would they like to try some of these strategies for the hotel or similar strategies for the hotel that I developed using the creative content that we created for Catch and we could do the same for, for the hotel. So short, short um, cinematic videos and really um, high-end lifestyle content that we could use together with our advertising strategies. And yeah, to be fair to them, they're quite a progressive business, so they were happy to, to explore it with small, smallest budget to see if you could actually generate bookings from these kind of strategies. And I think the first three months we were there, yeah, we did, we significantly built their email list up and generated like a 70-30 return on, on investment. So they were making 70%, from 30% invested from my cost, the photography costs and the advertising costs, they were making about 70% back, which is, which is really good. It's actually higher than their norm, most hotels' normal split between yeah. marketing and, and, uh, and sales, which is normally around 60-40, something like that. So, uh, yeah, so the trial went very well. So we, we ended up doing two years of um, strategic advertising for them, running all, all different types of strategies to different groups of people around the world to uh, convert viewers of their website and their content into actual booked guests. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, it happened quite fast and it was good to be working with a small and dynamic hotel that was willing to, to try something new. And uh, yeah, the results were, were, were really good actually. So that's our, our main focus now is there's lots of digital marketing agencies out there and there's lots of good photographers out there. But we feel like we're sitting at a nice intersection where we have very high quality content which we know we can, which is really important for the luxury end of the hotel market or, or hospitality market or restaurant market and anything in that high-end space. They need the quality content, but it's difficult to justify investing in just the content if you don't know how to monetize it with some kind of strategy afterwards. Um, so that's, that's where we've kind of set up this agency to sit between digital marketing agencies and photography agencies and trying to like blend both so that there's a return on and a strategy in place for the, all the beautiful stuff that we create for them. And also if you're working- I think it's, um, sorry yeah. Russ. No, it's Russ. Like, do it the other way. You end up with, you've got on one hand, you've got the, the content creator. The other hand, you've got the, the, the strategy company. And if, if things aren't working, they're just gonna blame each other. Oh, it didn't work because the content was shit. It didn't work because their strategy was shit. Whereas, you're uniquely positioned in the middle. You're providing everything. So if it doesn't work, yeah. it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. No, I think it's a fabulous idea. I think it's it's something I've been I've been working in the the digital marketing game for a little while, and I think putting the two to, with your quality of photography and your your creative skills and talents of you and Stan, Putting that together with the knowledge of digital marketing, it just it, it, it makes pure sense to me. I'm 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 sure that you guys will be very very. Once this craziness is over, I'm sure you'll yeah. be very 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 successful. Uh, what craziness? Sorry, did I miss something? Uh, me growing a beard is the craziness. We're all it's growing beards at the moment, by the looks of it. <clears throat> Liam looks well, much I mean, more. This, 
than we do. This, this curfew they've introduced, I was like, oh, I'm always in bed at 10 and at 4. So, so it's very yeah. different. I'm so boring because I don't go out partying. I'm like, this is this is just normal life. I can yeah. still walk the dogs. I still, you know, I don't go out and socialise anyway. So I do yeah. sometimes, but not that often. So it doesn't seem that different to uh, to how I normally live my day. Yeah. <laughs> Liam, on um, um, how do people? If people want to get hold of you, how would they? What's uh, the process of them wanting to tap you up and to find out more about you guys and what you do? Yeah, so I think at the moment the best thing to do is just to email me our our, our new website and I don't know if you have show notes or anything like that below the podcast, but I, I'll 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 give it to you. I don't know how people find it. How do they find the podcast? It's everywhere. It's what? Global, baby, Liam. Liam, no, you're not meant to say that. You're meant to say, oh, as a regular listener, you can download the podcast from Apple, from Spotify, from CastBox, <laughs> from any of the podcast providers, Liam, because it's everywhere. You've obviously okay, done let's it. Edit. Let's, yeah? let's do a second tape on this. As a regular listen, listener to this fantastic <laughs> podcast, you can download it on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, well done, mate. Well that, done, that's the well sound bite. We'll take yeah. that bit. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, yeah, we'll put your description, in our descriptions, we'll put your email link for people to get a hold of you for sure. Defo, no problem at all. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you, our new website is going like a couple of weeks away. Um, so uh, I will, I'll give it to you, you can put it in the show notes, um, if you like, so people can have a look at what we've been doing on that uh, commercial photography and um, digital marketing journey we've been on. Cool. All right, mate, well, look, before we wrap it up, a couple of um, key questions. Yes. Yeah. A couple of things that are on your bucket list. <laughs> Good question. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. It's only taken us an hour to get there. <laughs> um, Have a think. Hmm. We'll just yeah, talk we'll amongst Hi Russ, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? It's been ages. Since yeah, we're we're, um, we're interviewing Liam today, Liam Collard from Collard Studios. Um, he's got a great bucket list. He's going to tell us about it now. Yeah. So um, one thing I'd really like to do, and I've got as close as investigating and got some contacts in Nepal, is to there's quite a few um, ethnic Tibetan settlements up in the mountains in the, in the Himalayas that you need to trek to. And you can go and do homestays with them. And I want to go there at some point soon and spend one or two weeks there so that I can photograph just the, the way of life because they're still living in quite an authentic way. And it's, yeah, the more and more of them are getting like, integrated into Nepalese culture or in China, in the main bit of Tibet, into Chinese culture. So a lot of these old traditions and way of life are sort of um, being lost a little bit. So just going there and learning a bit about it and being in such a spectacular setting, yeah. um, that, that's the, the top thing. I've done a mini version of that in Thailand where I went to stay with a very remote hill tribe with Stan for a few days. And it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done, I think, with my, just, just as a trip and with the camera. They're amazing people, and this is just taking that next level. Where similar thing, they're also going to be hill tribes, but you're in the in the middle of the Himalayas with these incredible backdrops. So that's um, that's my number one thing to be to be trying to do. That would be amazing. I'm, I'm going to come and join you for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. You carry well, my I, kit for me. 
I, I won't I won't come and join you both for that, to be fair. Um, although I like the, the... You can come to my house, Liam, for a couple of weeks and shoot around here if you want. I'm still kind of back in the old school of uh, living my life like a Tibetan hill tribe person. <laughs> I didn't know how to say that. I didn't know yeah. where that was going. He's gone. <laughs> Liam's run away. Just a little short on the mountains, that's all. Liam's <laughs> <laughs> short on the mountains. I put some of those ring things in my neck. Was that? Oh, that's the. That's the, those are people you went to see. The ones with the with the neck rings. No, no, it's the actually the Karen, the Karen Hill tribe, which is a, a different one, not not the long neck ones. Um, yeah. Who's Karen? Yeah, the, the, it's just a, it's one of it's one of the hill tribes. Yeah, it's called the Karen Hill. Do you have friend of Sam's? Is she single? Is Karen? <laughs> is she available or? <laughs> so, well, I'll send you I a think... photo of a few of the village elders. Yeah. <laughs> So other than Russell, what was your last question? Other than a bit of trekking, anything else on, on the list? Yeah, again, it's a photography thing, but just trying to—I'm um, doing two, two, two projects with the um, photography. One that's been going on for a few years called um, just uh, people of Thailand. So I'm trying to photograph uh, portraits and environmental portraits of different parts of Thai society. So we've done like this hill tribe in. 2015 um, and like we went and did in Pangna Bay a, a Muslim fishing community we did six or seven trips up there over the course of a couple of years and photographed the, the, uh, the village elders and the community life there and stuff so actually exhibiting that work at a gallery I'd like to do it in London and in Thailand um, it looks more exotic doing it in London because it's you know very something very far away I always think it'd be quite interesting to showcase here as well when it's finished. So um, having an actual exhibition like that of, uh, of some of my work is like right at the top of, of uh, something that I want to do. And I would suggest that to do that, you need a nice, open, well-lit, covered exhibition space to do that sort of thing, wouldn't you? Like a nice, I'm just for just this? example, I would say like a nice big open, I'm looking say 30 meter by 20 meter room, nice high pitched roof, I could possibly help you out with that space. You could, you could. <laughs> For sure. And the, uh, the other one is a similar thing, but it's like a fine art black and white photography um, that I'm developing, which is a different subject, but mostly as people in have a bit more of a, an emotional um, feeling to them, uh, doing, getting that exhibited and actually starting to sell some of those fine art prints as artwork for people's houses. Is, um, is a bucket list thing. I know it sounds like work, but it's that part of photography is more like the stuff I love to shoot. So trying to get it out there a bit more for people to enjoy is, uh, is something I'm, I'm kind of keen to work on. Cool. Amazing. Um, Liam, thank you very much. It's been really interesting. I mean, we've known each other for what? Oh, blimey. Almost 10 years. Ago. I remember the wedding. Jay, do you remember where you, which wedding you met Liam at? No, I, I, when he mentions it's that one in, in Camilla where we used to go to, that band, whatever it's called. I do remember yes. being in there and seeing this very handsome man. And I was thinking, well, I hope he's single. And he wasn't, which was a shame because I would have <laughs> tapped him right up. Um, I think I was married at the time then or was probably with someone at the time. No, I, I think so. So, yeah, it's been a long time. And obviously, mm. I think we only really see each other with Liam so much was, was really at the weddings. But at that time, yeah. in all fairness, it was almost every weekend because when that time where you yeah. start working for Jeanette, 
I mean, that was bonkers wedding times. We yeah. were working every single weekend, sometimes Fridays, Saturdays as well. It was, it was craziness. Yeah, yeah. No, it, was a, it was a golden period, which was lucky for me. I think everyone needs a bit of luck when they set up a business. And whilst I was getting to the standard or stamina, I was getting to the standard that we're at now, we were lucky that there was a, there was a surplus of work. So we were able to charge, you know, we were able to make a good living whilst we were still essentially learning the trade. Whereas now we're, we've got a lot of international exposure and won loads of awards for our work. It's actually a lot harder to get the business now because it's, um, there's a lot of extremely good photographers and there's a lot of people willing to do it pretty much for nothing just to, just to do a wedding in, in uh, Thailand. It's hard to compete with people offering to do it for nothing. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, so the industry's struggling a bit. That, I'm kind of grateful though because the commercial stuff and the creative agency we've set up, I think, is a, is a step up in terms of uh, what we're offering. So maybe it's uh, you need to be nudged in the direction, don't you? And the business slowing down has presented this new opportunity. So yeah, no, I think you're right. And look, you're 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 a lovely man. You're a smart guy. You, you both you and Stan, I love you to death. And I think you you have to evolve. The the business has to evolve. You can't, I mean, I, I went through a phase where I just was not changing what I was doing. And I was yeah. living the life of just doing the same old thing. And I was expecting to get better and better. But you've got to try. You've got to try to do different things. You've got to take yourself outside the box and, and evolve. You've got to reinvent yourself. And I think that's what we've yeah. all, this screen here I'm looking at, are three people that are probably reinventing themselves from where we were 10 years ago. And I think you have to keep doing that. You have to keep moving forward. Otherwise... You just become a sad old individual that with no life, and I'm I'm there. <laughs> I think yeah, I think you get. I think that's that's really really true for for, for me. It's just a realization that the weddings, uh, the wedding stuff, it went well for a while, and maybe I had a false sense of security that setting up a business was easy because I came into it at a good time, and then when things started slowing down, I was like, oh. Actually, I need to know a hell of a lot more about not just being a good photographer. I need to know how to market myself better. I need to have a lot more skills to get our business out there. What, how could we cross-sell our business into other areas? And yeah, that journey's taken me to a point now where I'm like, oh, actually, I'm not really just a photographer. I'm just more like a, an entrepreneur that's living in Phuket and has used the original skill set uh, to offer services in a slightly different area. And maybe in a few years, that won't be so relevant. So there'll be another recreation that I'll need to do. And yeah, being flexible enough with that, is, I think, is the only way to be able to have a long-lasting career on an island like this, unless you work for a big company. Um, there's, there's always going to be things you have to do to recreate uh, where the work's coming from. Absolutely. Um, we're going to have to call it, because otherwise it's going to get um, too long. Liam, thank long. you very much. You have been a superstar. Really interesting. Um, thank you for your time. We're going to hang up and then, but can you stay online? So we need to take, I need to take a screenshot picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right, thanks, guys. Hello! He's gone. He's fucked off. We can slag him off now. Didn't like him. Didn't like that one. I thought it was the worst podcast we've ever done. Like I him. hate Liam. That was like I hate him. him. Do you know why I hate him? I remember when I first met him all those years ago, I thought, damn, he's handsome. And then Stam turned up, and I thought, oh, she's a hot chick. I wonder if she's... And then all of a sudden, yeah, you find out that those two are together, and, and Stam is beautiful. And you just think, damn, he's handsome, he's gorgeous, he's got a beautiful girlfriend, he's a photographer, he's doing... Everything's going great. What's to like? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Hate him.
And now I realise, now I hate him even more because he's off doing these great shots of Tibetan hill tribes and people with long necks or whatever. I don't know what he was... And, and oh, he's, a, he's an arsehole. I like the idea of going to Nepal. I think that'd be great fun. Got no interest in going anywhere near Nepal. Um, but no, he's amazing. I, I do like Liam. He's, he's turned his life around. Um, he was a party, party hard. He was a trader. He was a London boy. You know what I mean? That's, I, I totally see where he's coming from. I've got mates that are, are still doing that now. And I totally get that life. And to see what he does now and to see, he, he has got some amazing, I mean, his photography skills are, yeah. are brilliant. And, I will, and I'm going to big him up because I've watched him work at weddings. Because as a DJ, you get a lot of time to watch. I've seen you work and I can pretty much do your script in out get paid a million baht for just saying, yeah, well done. Make a joke about upgrade your Facebook account now to married or whatever the, your joke is that you do every time. Works have you changed time. that joke yet? Have you ever, you haven't changed it, have you? I've changed a couple of things recently. And actually the funny thing was, um, I was probably, how long is, towards the end of Jeanette's time with, with LEP. Um, and a couple of times she said, oh, you know, you should, we should probably change it up a bit. Because when she was showing videos to clients, it was all obviously the same stuff. I said, yeah, 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 that's fair enough. So um, I rewrote a couple of things. But I was, I was getting to the point, we'd gone through the, you've got a wedding, like at Coral Secret Day. I was doing weddings every fucking day during the summer, during that our sort of peak season. It was just, it was nuts. So, um, but we were way out of that sort of cycle. I was only doing like the ad hocs now and again. So, and I don't like <coughs> being there with a bit of paper reading off what I'm saying. I want to know it. So to do new material, you need that consistency, which I just didn't have at the time. And then obviously Jeanette left LEP and the wedding business nosedived anyway. And now I just can't be bothered. No. He, he's a good guy, Liam and Stan. Go and tap him up. Um, we'll put the description in the, I don't know why I'm pointing down because this is an audio podcast, isn't it? Um, we'll put the description in the link below, but definitely go and use them. Don't call me a wanker. That's out, that's out of order, isn't it? My mum listens to us. Actually, my mum no longer listens to us because of the swearing on this podcast, which is brilliant. Um, it's my fucking fault. No, and it's your fault. Um, but no, they're, they're good guys. And if you do want some photography, and I, I'm pleased that he's getting into the whole uh, marketing side of things and doing the, the, the digital marketing, because it's good for him and it's, mm. it, it's, it's great. I love them to death. Um, how are you, Russell? Everything all right in your dog academy, caninepointacademy.com? Good, mate. I'm here in the office um, with all this downtime. I, actually, at the turn of the year, I signed up for three courses. I was like, this year I'm going to be meaning to do these. I'm going to get them done. So I'm using this downtime to power on with those, to be fair. Cool, so, man. I'm using this downtime to homeschool and try to work and earn a living. Which is always good. How are the kids? Yeah, they're good, man. They, I mean, look, they, they, they. It is what it is. It's, it's. I get, I got frustrated. I get frustrated with school. Huh? How are they finding and dealing with this this whole new dynamic? Are they just running with it, or? Well, it would be interesting. Let's see what happens in five, ten years' time because this will be normal. This is, this is change. But this will. This is changing society. Society will never be the same again. Will mm. never be the same again. This is, you know, we all talk about how lifestyle coaches tell you that. It takes two weeks to, for something to become a, um, what's the word? Um, you know, if you want to learn something new, you want to do working out for two weeks, then all of a sudden it becomes, habit. I can't think of the right word. Uh, habit, that's it. So this whole social distancing, this whole wearing masks, gloves, not touching anybody, temperature checks as you go into 7-Eleven, um, blisters on your hand from, from being at home for so long. Um, <laughs> this is, this is going to be normal for them. 
homeschooling will 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 possibly become a, a normality in in some areas of life. You know, it, it's going to be really interesting, and I think the effects of this will will go on for a long time. Listen, I hope it gets over. I'm not doom and gloom in any way, shape, or form. I think social distancing is a great thing. If I can stay away from me, I I, I hate a lot of people, but. <laughs> I think for those, you know, I do see the issue with social interaction of, of how kids are now going to be. I mean, I, I, it's, it's bonkers and it, it's, it's crazy, but it is what it is. And look, we're trying to stay normal. We're, we're trying new things here at home. We're doing, like I said, we, we're still, you know, we're growing stuff. We're doing planting. We're, we're doing lots of Play-Doh. So, you know, we're doing the stop motion animation. I'm doing stuff with the kids. So they're fine. They, they get a bit bored at home, but, you know, I've still got to work and, They've still got to just right. get bored, I guess. Fair enough. But it'd be interesting. I, I get your point about how society is going to change on, on the back end of this. And in particular, for people that are now having to work from home because they have to work from home. And like up until this point, there's been people who've been crying out, oh, can I just work from home Thursday afternoon because my kid's sick? Or can I just work from home? Because their job is, it's here, it's on the computer. They can work from anywhere. Oh, no, no, no. You've got to be in the office to build it. The, the business will fail. Now, everyone's at fucking home, working from home, and everything's fine, to some degree, within the business. So it'll be interesting on the bounce back, when all of a sudden we're allowed to integrate, we're allowed to um, be close together, we're allowed to run offices fully. Do we actually need to do that? Well, I think we do, yeah. You have to have some sort of social interaction with other people. I'm saying I hate it. I think from a work environment... Now, look, I've worked from home for a long time, for the last probably two years, going to different people's offices. And I've always felt a little bit not part of something. You no, don't feel part. And, and that, that's where the issue is. But I think with, um, in all fairness, though, doing this podcast, I'm kind of, we are, well, I am creating my own work environment, I guess. So anyway, look, we, don't, we can't drag on too long. <coughs> we can have a, a, a cough. Hold on. Uh-oh. Hello. I'm getting... Hello, let me just hang that one up. Right, on that note, uh, okay. Russell, um, go and check Russell out, caninepointacademy.com. Uh, check me out on, or, or like us on Jada Shark. Um, apart from that, if you want to be on the podcast, email us, jadashark uh, at gmail.com. Um, oh, we took a picture. I'll send you the picture. And the recording. Yeah, oh, that too. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's going to be a big recording to send. Bye, Love you. Thanks, Russ. Bye. See you, bye.